Good stuff. Let's talk message number 17 tonight. Let's talk about lots of trouble. Lots of trouble. I don't know if you read ahead or not. Got into chapter 13. You'll understand that that is a funny thing and a play on words. You know what I'm talking about? Lots of trouble. There's going to be lots and lots of trouble. So a little bit of review as we get going here. Uh, what does faith look like? Okay, what does faith look like? Well, it looks like Abraham. It looks like what? What did you say? <laughs> it looks like Abraham, right? Faith looks like Abraham. He is, uh, he, he's the man of faith in the Bible. In fact, when Paul gets ready to talk about faith in Romans chapter 4, he goes straight and talks about Abraham. Uh, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what does that faith that Abraham had look like? Well, he was, he was told or asked to leave his country. So he left his country, he left his kinfolk, and he left his father's house. Following God always entails leaving something in order to do something for God, doesn't it? Now, whether God makes you leave geographically or break relationships with certain people or move on into other places, I don't know that's what he's done in my life in a lot of ways, but I do know this. He may not ask you to leave where you are, but he, he, he's going to ask you to leave who you used to be. So it's going to entail leaving your old life in order to live the life Christ has got for us, right? Live the new life. And sacrifice is a necessary part of it. You know that? Following God will always require sacrifice on your part. That's just part of it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a willing sacrifice. It's a willing sacrifice. It's, it's kind of like the parable Jesus talked about. If you really knew what was at stake, uh, you would take everything you had and sell it and go buy this pearl of great price. You remember that? Or you would take everything you had and sell it and buy that field in order to get the treasure that's in it. That's what Jesus said. So it's a, it's a sacrifice, but is it really? Is it really? Considering what you get, it's, it's a trade up for sure. For sure. So Abraham, he's the man who builds altars. Remember that. We're going to see him do that again tonight. He's the man who builds altars. So what is an altar? Well, it's obviously a place of worship, right? It's also a landmark. Uh, there's a whole study. We'll, we'll get into that later, and I'll show you a bunch of pictures of things I, I came across when we were on our trip, our trips to Israel. Uh, they had things called standing stones. They would put it. Y'all seen, like, uh, what's that one in England, that big... Stonehenge, Stonehenge, it's like standing stones. It's, you, you walk up in, in the desert and you see a odd shape, look like man-made type stone structures. Okay, now this would be these altars and things like that. People put them there to mark the place. And in this case, it's to mark the place as a memory of, of something that God has done in their life or done for them. So that's what these altars, they also represent a place of worship and also these landmarks or memories on our journey of faith. Now, do you have those kind of memories? I mean, everybody ought to be getting a faith bank. That's, that's kind of what I call it. You ought, to, ought to be getting a faith bank where your relationship with God, you're getting all this history built in with God. These things he's done, the prayers he's answered, the things he's done in your life, things he's spoken to your heart, the things you've committed to him. All of those are those landmark type experiences. Abraham happens to go and build physical altars. So an altar is, I got all these seven, if you need to preach a sermon on an altar, that would be nice, like seven little words right there. It's a place we can return. He's going to do that tonight. It's a place where we can repent. Same kind of same idea. It's a place where we can remember, right? It's a place where we can rededicate ourselves. It's a place where we can reorient ourselves and put God back first in our lives. We need to do that a lot, don't we? It's a place where we can recalibrate. You know, some of you guys, that, ladies that work on stuff, if you use instruments, sometimes just by the, through use, instruments get off kilter, don't they? They get off track. 
and you got to recalibrate it. You set it back to zero or whatever it is. You set the scale back and you recalibrate it and it's, it's useful again, right? Well, that's the same in our life. We have to be recalibrated. And it's a place where we can refire. So as one old boy said, it's not time to retire, it's time to refire, right? Uh, all that and much, much more than what altars are. Okay, so now remember, remember our story last week. He went down to Egypt. That, that The way that the author writes it, the way the Holy Spirit had it written, is this picture that when you go to Egypt, you go down. Now, why did he go down to Egypt? Do you remember? Famine. There was a severe famine, it said. It was a crisis moment. And Abraham goes down to Egypt to help. And what happened in the process? See if you remember our story from Genesis chapter 12, the second half of it. He got to Egypt and all them guards stood up there and he said, Hey, Sarah, remember that? Sarah, I know you, you're a good looking woman. And what they're going to do, this is what these Egyptians, they're crazy, they're wild. They're going to kill me. They're going to take you because you're a good looking woman. And was he right about it? He was halfway right about it. But he said, he said, I tell you what, just lie for me, girl. Right? And that's what he did. He said, just lie and tell them you're my sister. Well, if God would not have intervened, it would have been bad. Would God intervened on Abraham's back? Isn't it something God intervened on the man who wasn't doing the right thing? If, he, if God wouldn't intervene, he would have lost his wife. He'd have lost the promise. He'd have lost his future. God protect. Aren't you glad God protects stupid? <laughs> Saved him from his life. What's that? Saved him from his life. Saved him from himself, yeah. That's right. So, uh, uh, old boy said, God, God watches after children and fools, and I've been both. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so let's get in chapter 13, get some new stuff. Now, remember that idea went down to Egypt. Okay, we're going to see something different right away in, in verse number 1 of chapter 13. Then Abraham went up from Egypt. So if you're going down to Egypt, what's the next best thing you got to do? you got to find a way up out of there. He went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abraham or Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So we get a few details here, and these details are going to prep us now. So remember now, this is a story. The Bible's a story, this part of it anyway. It's a story, so pick up on the details. The author is, is laying, uh, what, what do you call it? maybe foreshadows or details that we're going to need as we go. So they're going to be important later. So he, he went up from Egypt. So he went down to Egypt and things went down. They went south. The next best thing is to come up from it, come up out of that mess, right? So we got Lot. So who is Lot? His nephew. What's happened to Lot's daddy? It was Abraham's brother. He died, right? And Lot basically just attached himself. Abraham kind of adopted him as one of his sons kind of thing and, and took him to raise. And he goes on this journey with, with Abraham. He's going to become real important in this story and in Genesis 19 when we get to the Sodom and Gomorrah story. He plays real prominent in that. Okay? And we get another detail about Abraham's life that he is very rich. He got all kinds of herds, all kinds of livestock, all kinds of gold and silver. Wonder where he got some of that at? Egypt. He got in Egypt. So not only did God bail him out of Egypt, God really, really poured it on. He, he really, really blessed him. That's, that's pretty awesome. So God's blessed this man, and he's, he's one of the more prosperous man, men of the East at this point in time, we believe. All right, so verse 3 through 4. Let's get a little more text here. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. 
to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. All right, so where did he go back to? He went right back to that altar that he had built before he went in there. Right? So he built an altar. We saw it in chapter 12. He built an altar between Bethel and Ai right there. He built that altar there. He goes down into Egypt and he comes back up. And where do you go back once you come to return again? He went straight back to that altar again. Now here's just an idea of altars. Okay? Uh, ancient altars, there's a couple of pictures here on the screen. Now these are massive. You, you see these altars, that, that's on scale. There's a man standing in the middle of that bronze altar right there. Uh, you think those things are, are uh, overscaled, but I've seen some of them in museums and some of them on uh, uh, sites, archaeological sites, and some of them are really, really big. These would have been more along the lines of pagan altars. Okay. Now here's, here's more like the altar Abraham would have built. See these little stone, these unworked stone altars right here, which is basically just stacked stones. That would have been more like something like Abraham would have done. All right? Jacob builds an altar with one stone and then pours oil on it and said, this is where God is. That's how Bethel, you know, this is the place where God lives. So these the altars would have looked more like this that Abraham built, okay? These stacked stones, right? Now that bronze altar right there, that would have been more like the one they had in the tabernacle. Okay, just give you a visual. That's all that, That's all about, okay? So he's building an altar. So what does that mean? That's a lot of rocks. What does that mean? A lot of work. This man's serious about doing what he's doing. Okay? Either himself or having people help help do it. That kind of thing. Alright, so so what do you do after you've blown it? What do you do after you made a bad decision? You go back to where you started. It says he went back to the place where he was in the beginning, is what the text said. You go back to the place where you started or where you last heard from God. Or where you last had that moment with God and you go back to the altar. We talked about that a lot last week. Okay, you go back to that altar. And it says right here that he called on the name of the Lord. What do you think that is? Remember we saw it over in Genesis, I think chapter, I want to say five, with Seth. Maybe, maybe, maybe the end of chapter four. Where it was in the days of Seth. And Seth was the next son after Cain and Abel. Obviously Abel's dead. Cain gets exiled out. Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And Seth, it says, in the days of Seth, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. So that phrase has popped up before. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. That's good. What if somebody calls on your name? What if somebody calls on Janice? What does that mean? We need to talk. Right? That, that's that whole idea of relationship and worship and communion and prayer and identifying yourself with God. Scripture says a lot about the name, the name, the name, the name. All right, so Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe or saved in some translations. We sing an old song, an old song we sing, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Remember that? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. So that's what Abraham's doing, basically. I, I see him doing that. He's running back to God. He's running right to the place that he knows where he met God. So what is name in the scripture? Name is character, nature, essence, all that kind of stuff. So we, what we do when we run back to God, we run back to Father. We run back to who he is. 
We run into him. Not just like a collision, but like, like a shelter, like a refuge. We run into the name of God. Jesus said this. When we learn to pray, you remember the name. Hallowed be. Remember our Father which art in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Or hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This hallowed be, this name of God is really important to us. And now think of the many names of the one true God. What are some of them? Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Yahweh, Counselor. Miss Pat's is ready. She's loaded up with it. Ain't she? What What about all them Jehovah names? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenud, Jehovah Shama. You know, Alpha and Omega. I mean, you got all these names that describe the one true God. What What are those? Those are promises of God's goodness and promises to us. His name is that. So, so you need help? Yeah, Jehovah Jireh. He, he sees what we're doing. He sees us. And he will provide. All right? That, that idea. I believe Abraham's doing that. Now listen to what it says about the name right here. Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11. You know this very well. You've heard it before many times, many sermons on this. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So out of all those names that we know about, what's the one that's exalted above all others? It's the name of Jesus. How about that? And I recommend you run into it every chance you get. Find your refuge there. All right, a little bit more text here. Story continues with Lot here. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen, all the people taking care of all the cattle and all the sheep and all the stuff. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Mm-hmm. And all them otherites out there. You've got to watch them ites now. Termites and all them ites. <laughs> all right, so, so conflict. Let's talk about conflict just a minute. All right, conflict with people is a part of life, isn't it? It's a part of relationships. It happens. Conflict. So what is a conflict? It's a disagreement. Do you ever have disagreements with something? One old boy said, I don't even agree with myself half the time. You know? So a problem arises, there's differences of opinions, difference of way things may can be handled. Somebody wants to go this way, somebody wants to do it this way, different approaches, there's different end goals and desires and things like that. All, that. all that's part of life. It's part of work life, isn't it? And navigating those issues can be kind of tough sometimes. So conflict comes. So, so was there, what was the legitimate, there was a legitimate conflict. Now it's not just something somebody conjured up or some did something silly. What's the legitimate conflict in the story? Not enough, not enough grass, not enough grazing spots, and all that kind of thing. So we got a real problem. It's not, it's not something made up. It's not just personality clashes. So, so now conflict can be, it can be something that separates us and causes us to grow bitter or even fight, or it can be a fire that forges our hearts together. Somebody said this one time about people in relationships that they wouldn't trust anybody that they hadn't had a fight with yet. Because you don't know how it, how it really is until 
until there's conflict. You know, and if somebody's always agreeing with you, yeah, you ain't that right all the time. Now, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So it can it can be conflict can pull us together if we handle it properly, if we use wisdom, or it can be something that causes us it can start another kind of fire. <laughs> you, you holding your tongue? You? Yeah, I saw that. Uh huh. So now now you do know the difference between conflict and strife, right? Conflict is a legitimate problem. I'll give you a little sidebar, kind of what I've done in counseling, what I try to do in our own our personal lives and stuff. Let's say we got a problem. Money's a big one, okay? Somebody spent some money they shouldn't be spending or did something that shouldn't be done or, or bounced a check, whatever. Anyway, don't, I didn't mean to bring all that up. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, so we got some disagreements. So somebody went and bought a boat or a camper or something. They don't know. <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Okay, so we got a legitimate, maybe it's with one of the kids or something. That don't help us either. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I like to do, and I, I, I try to counsel people this way. What we do is we got, we got this circle between us. Okay, we're, we're at odds with each other on this. Let's, let's keep the problem in the circle. And that's what we're both coming at. We're coming at this problem. If it's a money problem, see, this is how you solve some conflicts. You, you, but what happens if you drag a person into that circle? Yeah. So now it's not you just saying we got a money problem. Now you're saying I got a problem or I'm the problem or whatever. So, so we got to keep the conflict in that circle and, and keep each other out of it somehow, some way, and, and not allow all that to happen. Because if we drag each other in, now the money don't ever get fixed. The problem, don't, the kid doesn't ever get fixed. Or whatever the conflict's about, it doesn't ever get addressed. Because all it ends up in is this heated battle. You know, So conflict's a part of it. And if you want to be successful in your relationships and successful at work and things like that, you've got to be good at conflict resolution. You've got to be good at it. Because crazy is everywhere. Make you want to slap people sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tensions are high. People are on edge, like, you know. I, I say that, like, even, like, today's stuff at work, it's stuff I wouldn't have dealt with three years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. And, it, and, mm-hmm. and you don't know how. Like, you knew how to take care of the problem five years ago, but you don't know how to address Well, emotions are... Emotions are highly, highly charged nowadays in everybody. Everybody's on edge. Okay? Everybody's like old Shrek, old donkey on edge kind of thing. It's just happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I got a dragon I ain't afraid to use it. You know, that kind of thing. Never mind. All right, so this conflict turns to strife. All right? Strife is now different than conflict. Strife is when the fighting starts. Right? That's, that's when it's, it's, it can be physical. It can get that bad. It can be a conflict with words or it can be a conflict with passive-aggressive attitudes. You know how to... I don't, I don't know if you've got passive-aggressive people in your life where they, they won't actually come out and say it, but they'll be mad at you for three weeks. Well, Lord help us. We all... It's, uh, hey, I, 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 nobody called me and told me to say all this, so y'all just know that this is just for everybody. So, so strife is when we start sinning against each other. Strife is where the sin. The conflict's not where the sin. There's a real problem. There's not enough grass. Not enough something in the house or the family or at the job. Something's got to be fixed. Something's got to be resolved. 
And if you're a manager, that's all you're doing. You're just solving problems all the time, right? If you're trying to manage people. So, but strife is when the sin starts. Where you problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody said the definition of management is it's on fire. Everything's on fire. It's all on fire. <laughs> you know, that's just what kind of way it works. It's long until it's not. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then, then you wish it'd go away. <laughs> all right. So we don't have time to get into all of this. I've I, I made a list of several scriptures about strife. You can go read it. But I'll tell you what. Miss Pat, you want to read for me. Can you read Proverbs 26, 20, and 21? Anybody else want to read for them? Anybody else got a Bible they can read for them? Um, Noah, you want to read Proverbs 28, 25? You ain't even got your Bible open, kid. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate it. Let's just read these two. Now you can go and there's there's a lot of good, good advice and wisdom in all this whole list. So you might want to read it. Miss Pat, you want to read 26, 20, and 21? Um, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out, and so where there is no talebearer, the strife ceases. As coals are to the burning coals, and wood to fire, so is contentious, a contentious man to kindle strife. All right, that's one of my favorite proverbs, is where there is no wood, the fire goes out. But how many of you know we got some wood chunkers around? <laughs> they just like to come. That's that tail bear. He, they just like, I don't, I don't know how to say all that. We've got people that, <laughs> people that just <laughs> throw wood on the fire all the time. But where there is no wood. I'm married to a logger. I understand. I understand. But where there is no wood, if, if, if you will quit throwing wood on the fire, guess what eventually happens? In the strife, if you quit, guess what happened to the fire? It'll eventually go out. It may take them a minute, and they may be mad about you going out. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. But that's one of my favorite Proverbs. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Proverbs 28, 25. Noah, you got that? Greed causes fighting, trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. All right, so all this. And another place it says pride causes all this strife and fighting. All right. So strife enters in. Let's get some more text right here. 8 and 9. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. We're family here now. Now, I didn't put all this in my notes, but think about, you remember it said the Canaanites and Perizzites are over there too? So what happens if they get word that there's a division in the camp? What's the enemy going to do? They're going to lose everything at that point. You know what I'm saying? See, the church hadn't got keen to that. Because, see, we, we have so much fighting and infighting among ourselves, fussing and cussing each other and doing all the things we do, all that kind of stuff, and we have no idea there's an enemy out there. Can't even focus on him because we're having to put out all these fires in the house and keep the house from burning down. You know what I'm talking about? It happens, unfortunately. He said, we're brothers, man. We're family. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. And if you take the left, I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Hmm. Now, did you see that? It said, so Abraham said to Lot. 
There was this conflict that turned to strife, and then Abraham says to Lot. So what does that tell us? Abraham took the initiative to make peace in this relationship, okay? To, to kind of try to start to resolve this thing. So here's, here's the faith lesson from Jesus. You, you know this well. You've heard it. Matthew 5, 9, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So what's a peacemaker? Just flip the words. What's a peacemaker? Someone who does their best to make peace. I'll, I'll do, a, do a sermon here before too long, a little illustrated sermon, and we talk about the recipe, recipe for making peace. It's a family recipe, you know that? It's the, the peace had a peace pie, you know, whatever you want to call it. We, we ought to know how to do that. We, we got to know. That's that's part of our heritage. All right, so now, it, it takes faith to do this. It takes faith to step out and to approach somebody that you're in conflict with, whether it's in direct family or extended family or friends or church or work or whatever. It takes a lot of faith. You got to step out on faith. And the blessing is on the one who steps out to make it right. That's what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now the person who's a, who gets help, they're going to get a measure of that blessing, but guess who gets the biggest blessing? It takes a lot of love to do that. It takes love then to value somebody, and to value your relationship, and to value the situation. So it takes love to do that, and it takes a lot of courage. Because, hey, I mean, I've been in them before, where you go in and you try to make peace, and it doesn't do nothing to make it worse. You know that sometimes. And it takes a lot of courage to step out and say, hey, man, can we talk or something? We need to get this thing worked out. It takes, you don't know, sometimes you don't know if they're going to hit you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, he said, we're brothers. Let's get this straight. All right? Now, did you notice that Abraham gave Lot first choice? He gave him first choice. He gave Lot the choice because he trusted God with his future. I think Abraham was of the mind is that God's, God's going to bless me either way. He's promised to bless me. So I think there's a lot of faith here that, that Abraham has taken this step. And he also wants to be a blessing to his nephew. I mean, he's taking the boy under his wing. He gives Lot first choice. And, and pride causes strife and humility brings peace. Abraham's taking a very humble position. Now, he doesn't need to. He, I mean, he, he doesn't have to. Let's say it like that. He doesn't have to take this point. I mean, he's the patriarch. I mean, he is the one that God has called. He's the leader of this bunch, and this caravan is pretty large by now. We're going to see later by the time the next chapter, he, he's got an, a standing army of 318 people. I mean, this is not some little small little deal, little house Bible study. This is like a whole group of people. He's accumulated quite a bit. So Abraham doesn't have to do that. I mean, Abraham could very well put this boy in his place. And I don't think anybody would have questioned him if he did. He could have said, look here, Junior. Let me tell you a little something, boy. Your daddy died and I took you in. And you know all them herds you got and all them goats and all them sheep and all them camels and all them goats and all that stuff, all that stuff you got. You know why you got it, boy? He could have done that now. And nobody, everybody would have said, well, y'all not mess with Papa now. I'm just telling you, we done told you to leave him alone. You know, but he, he could have set him in his place and pulled rank on him, but he did not do that. It tells us a lot about his character and about who he is. This is what he did. Here's, here's the faith lesson from Romans 12:10. We see, see this in the New Testament. 
It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There's that love, the brother's thing again. With brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Mm, that's kind of hard, ain't it? That's kind of hard. That kind of goes against the grain of our flesh. So it says that Abraham preferred Lot over himself. He, he gave him first choice. He said, okay, you go this way, you go this way, you go that way, I'll go this way. Right? That kind of thing. So, so it's faith. this is faith in action. Abraham's a man of faith now at this point. This is faith in action in the conflict. All right, now let's see what, let's look at this choice that Lot makes. There's a lot of insight right here, actually. So Lot gets, goes to thinking. Abraham said, if I go this way, I can have that land. Hmm, let me look at that. Hey, boys, can y'all go up on that hill and just tell me what's on the other side of that hill? What, what about over here? Let's make sure we make good choice here, right here. Y'all go over here and take a look at this side of the land. What does that look like? It says, And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before. This is a little narrator note right here. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord. What's that? What's the garden of the Lord? He knows. Okay. Mm. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. In other words, it's fertile. It's ready to go. And then Lot chose for himself. Do you recognize the wording here? Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And if we had, if this was a TV script, what you would hear on the piano would be, dum, dum, dum. <laughs> if you know anything about the story, all these flags all start popping up. Okay. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay. Now pay close attention. Now these patterns starting to pop up. The patterns from all the Genesis 2 and 3 stuff. Okay. We talked about we talked about this. Look for these patterns. They're emerging throughout the whole story. Now think about this. When have we seen someone is given a choice, they see it or look on it, it seems really good to them, but in the end. When have we seen that before? Oh, in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Now the text kind of helped us out a little bit here because the, the text... Gave us a hint. Remember, it said this place it looked like Eden, the Garden of the Lord. So it's the, the 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 Holy Spirit wanted us to to be mindful of this is like an Eden temptation moment. Remember, Eve saw the fruit that it was good and took it, and she took it for herself. You see the wording now. You see all this stuff. Now, I'm taking time to accentuate this for you because I want you to see these patterns in Scripture because what happens in the story. All the mistakes of humanity just keep repeating themselves, repeating themselves, repeating themselves, repeating themselves. And guess what? It's got down to you, and guess what it's kept doing for generations and generations all the way to you? Guess what's happening? You know what? He's used the same tricks on all of us, hasn't he? You know why he has? <laughs> yeah, it works. Okay. All right, so now, Lot's choice. His choice reveals his character. Abraham's peacemaking 
deal here reveals his character. Now his choice is going to reveal his character, Lot's character. It says, then Lot chose for himself the best land available. Okay, now, let's, let's, let's speculate a little bit. What, or criticize, critique, what decisions should Lot have made? Well, could have prayed about it. That'd been a good, good start, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. What decision should he have made? He should have took the less of, of uh, according to the land, you know, what he saw with his eyes. I mean, who who does he owe his entire existence to? Who does he who? Abram. Abram. You choose first. Mhm. So he, he I, it seems that he should have had one or two things. He he should have said. Well, well, Uncle, I'm, I'm, I, the blessing's on you. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> We're going to have to solve this somehow. Find another avenue, some other kind of way to solve it. And make peace with Abraham. Or he should have said, Uncle Abe, you know, everything I got is because of you. And there is no way. He should have deferred this choice to Abraham. Why didn't he? He took it. She saw it and she took it. That's the garden imagery again. He took it for himself. Abraham was willing to trust God with his future. Lot said, no, I'm, I'm going to get the best right now for me. I'm taking it. And you know, that's a human struggle we got. That we don't think we're going to get what we need unless we take it upon ourselves to take whatever we need. Because we're scared to death. I mean, you don't believe it? You, you let us get some cookies on that shelf over there and put it on that counter. And now all these kids, get all these kids in here. Come on in here. What are they going to do to get to them cookies? They're going to start taking, ain't they? they? It's just something in us in human nature. We just don't think we're going to get what we need unless we just absolutely push everybody else out of the way and fight and claw and get what, just take. I'm just, no, it's mine. I mean, it's human nature, isn't it? It's not a good thing, but it's human nature. So Lot's choice to leave Abram and move towards Sodom proves to be the beginning of tragedy for his life. And the story of Lot is going to spiral. We'll get into some more of the tragedy next week with Lot in Genesis 14. All right. It says this. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. You know, he, he's, he's going towards Sodom. But you know what eventually happens? He moves into Sodom. He becomes a leader in Sodom. We'll get to that story a little bit later. But just, just to let you know. Now, what is Sodom? Sodom well, Sodom and Gomorrah are kind of these these case studies of evil in the world. What does God eventually do with Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, it's so bad he just burns it all up, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay. Sodomy, sodomy, the idea, not to be gross or whatever, but the idea of sodomy comes from that name. All the perversion, sexual perversion, comes from that particular name of that place. You know? Now listen, again, lot saw the good but failed to see the evil. Where where have we seen that before? What was the name of that tree that Eve was told, Adam and Eve both were told not to protect? What was the name of the tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She saw the good but what did she not see? So Lot sees, just these parallels again, Lot sees the good 
He said, oh, that's some good land, boy. Them cows are going to like that. That's going to be good stuff. We, we can plant some stuff in those crops. I mean, that, that soil is rich. We, we can do this. Okay. And it turns out it's a, it's a very rich place, soil-wise and all that, agricultural. He saw the good, but he did not see the evil in it. And the Holy Spirit lets us know there's something that Lot doesn't know about this deal. You see, it's like the Holy Spirit's giving us these little fortune. There's something Lot doesn't. He sees the good, but he doesn't know yet that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are some of the most wicked people on the planet. They're full of all kinds of perversions. They were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord, it says. And this will cost Lot everything. Well, you, you should know this by now that your choices matter. Don't you know that by now? From some of the small stuff and certainly the big stuff. Your choices matter. All right, so now, now here, here's the faith lesson. Faith, uh, three of them right here. It looked like paradise, but it was hell. You see what I'm talking about? So be careful what you think is the good life. Because you may not see that other part. The enemy, he, he's, he's good at getting all that shiny stuff and attracting us and seducing. He's good at that, isn't he? But guess what he hides? He hides the hook, doesn't he? Just like a good fisherman. I mean, he puts the, the bait on the hook so that you see the bait and not the hook. Mm-hmm. Don, you said he, he should have prayed. So learn, learn to lay your decisions and plans before the Lord before you make your choice, whatever it might be. And be faithful in the small things, even the small things, as you work through your life and all your decisions. Lay it before the Lord. Pass it by Him. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. See, He saw... He, 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 Lot didn't walk by faith. Not, he didn't walk by faith, but He walked by what? It's kind of plain like that. He kind of said that. He saw it. All right. All right, we're almost done here. So God's going to honor Abram for doing the right thing. We're going to say this before we read the last bit of the story here, this part of it. And God seems to come and reassure Abram. Okay? Because I don't know if you, I mean, we've got grown kids now, so they're starting to make decisions. And I don't know if you've ever had a kid that, started making decisions and you just know they make a decision and something sour hits your belly. Ever had that happen to you? You just know this ain't going to be good. Mm-hmm. So God has to come and reassure Abram because I, I think Abram knows what's about to happen here. It's not going to be good. And God has to reassure him. He's going to do that in just a minute in the text. And I want you to see the tenderness of God as, as he extends it towards Abram right here. All right, verse 14 and through 18. This is the end of chapter 13. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, it's probably an emotional thing for him a little bit. God said, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Look north, look south, look east and look west. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. That's talking about numerous. They're going to just be scattered. They're going to be a bunch of them. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, 
Walk in the land through its length, through its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went. That's a sermon right there. He moved his tent and went. Somebody ought to write a song about that. <laughs> and he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. You see, God just steps into this heartbreaking moment, I believe, for Abraham. And he just reassures him to say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm still with you. The promise still stands. What the song popped in my head. The promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Right? Mm-hmm. You done? Questions, comments before we go? Lots of trouble. That's interesting. It's an interesting thought. If he, I think he was afraid about it. Yeah. You know, right. talking about it. Yeah, that, that would have made it hold all the difference in the world, you know. Yeah, we, we could speculate, but it seemed like Abram said, "Well, okay, Lot, let's let's uh, let's mean you talk this out. Let's let's go to that altar. I got an altar right over there. Let's let's go over there and let's, let's see what God's gonna say to us." It seemed like he would. Because you know what, Abraham has learned from Egypt. We ain't doing that again. He learned from Egypt, but he, he just went. He just, it just The text doesn't talk about him praying. He's, he's learned some lessons. He's, he's getting a little wisdom in this journey. So I believe Abraham would have consulted the Lord at this point, especially after going to Egypt and almost losing, especially after Sarah has done railed him for about two months on that deal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do you think that uh, Abraham and Lot knew how weak his Sodom was and Gomorrah? Hmm. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they did, you know. The narrator's telling us that they they're the most wicked, you know, all these people away from far from God. Until they got there, might not have realized that he's even there. Now I think what Abram is going to, I think what Abram does know, is that we're stronger together, and we got all these enemies around here. I think that's part of the heartbreak. Is like, oof, man, he's weakening our our people. Uh, by, by taking off and doing his thing. Um, but we, we don't know. We speculate. But I, I suppose not. I mean, you know, they didn't have internet. They didn't have mail. They didn't have a lot of things. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe, maybe, maybe word's out on them. I don't know. It's certainly going to be out soon. It's a good question. Well, Abraham is willing to go either way. So you would think he didn't know he thought he was going in the right direction. Isn't it something? You can think it's right and when it's all wrong. We, we, we can get, be deceived like that. Got to be careful. That's why we got to just, just know this and believe and, and trust the Lord. Ask him. Lay our, lay our plans. You know, man makes his plans. The Lord directs his steps, the scripture says. And not terribly far, though. It's not too terribly far. So, all right. And what did what did our what did our friend do here at the very last of it? He meets with God, and God speaks to him. What did he do in the last? He built an altar, he built an altar there to the Lord. 
All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Lord, I pray we can learn from the mistakes that are recorded from other people in the scripture, Lord, that it's just not good for us to be leaning towards Sodom. It's just not good. So help us, Lord. I pray you just help us to run our plans and our decisions and all the things, the challenges that rise in life, that we'd run them by you. and You'd help us. And Lord, may we become the kind of people who just absolutely build an altar to you everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, it's, it's a place of prayer. It's a place where we can meet with you. It's a place where we can hear from you. It's a place where we can offer sacrifices and worship to you. Help us to be that kind of people. Thank you for your word, Lord. Help it to keep getting in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.